The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Oh my goodness, Joey. I, I'm laughing right now as we start this intro because after interviewing our guest, um, Tyler Sully Sullivan, who is the founder of Bomb Tech Golf, I just thought of the fact that I think you only had us interview him either for one, you to see if you could get him to make your daughter some clubs. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, 100%. or two to learn some way to try to hit the ball past me. Well, the second one is too easy. Yours is in the woods. <laughs> Mine is like a hundred yards in the fairway. So <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Okay. There's lots of lessons that comes out of this interview. I think you're really going to love listening to this, this talk. Cause entrepreneurs just have a way of telling stories that kind of draw us all in. But Joe, really quick, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Like he, Tyler, he was sharing with us that he had a passion for golf, right? And he really wanted to find a golf driver that he could make that would allow him to hit the ball further. And then he goes on to tell us, you know, what ways that he did that and, and encourages entrepreneurs to take that same sort of passion. So I, I did have one idea way back when of a product, an actual physical product that I thought would be amazing to create. I was definitely passionate about it. And it was this is if there's one thing I was good at in college, it was not going to school and laying on a couch and watching TV. Okay. I, I, I'm I, missing the product here. Um, well, later on my now wife would come over and she'd lay on that couch with me. Right. And I don't know if you've ever tried to lay side by side with somebody on a couch. It just, it just doesn't work out. Right. It's not comfortable. I mean, not if you want to like be laying flat, like if you, if you want to get on your side, right. Then you can double up. Yeah. But my thought was, here's what we need. We need to make a couch that's double wide. Like a trailer, like a double wide trailer. No, like single a, wide? no, like no, no, no. Like a, like just a wider couch so that two people could lay on it comfortably side by side okay I, and i thought this is genius because brilliant i've never seen one and there's got to be other people like me who like to like lay next to their you know their their spouses or significant others whoever and watch tv but be comfortable doing it okay all right so so can i apply the framework that sully gave us please all right so sully walked us through the framework, if you are in that position, you got this idea and you want to see, do I have a business that I could create out of this? He said, start with something you're passionate about. I was passionate about it. You love TV and, I, and laying down next to somebody watching TV. Those two, yes. Okay. Probably reverse the order, but yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So check, check box number one. Number two, he said, start having conversations to find people who are also into the same thing that you are. I think the only person I, I so told about my about idea this? was uh, was Megan. So you got 100% buy-in. She was definitely into it. Okay. 
So or me or both. I don't know. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and say that wasn't enough test subjects. It was <laughs> just one. That, that that doesn't make a survey. You, you haven't found an audience. Okay. okay. Uh, that 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 could be your downfall of this product. Okay. And then the third thing is ask those people in that community questions to make sure that the product that you create is exactly what they want. Okay. I I didn't I didn't do that either. Okay. Didn't didn't get that far. Obviously, we stopped with Megan. And then the last thing is take their money, meaning make them not only say that they like the product, but pay for it so that you know you actually have a product that people will buy. So you wanted me to ask her to pay me for the couch that I hadn't made yet just so that she then would have her own couch? I don't get it. I mean, sugar mama, whatever, call them whatever you are. <laughs> but you got to have money to create the product. So I'm going to go ahead and say... There's a reason that this one never got off the ground. Well, you go right now, you can find couches that are double wide, that you can actually put two people side by side. Now, most of us don't like them when we're just trying to sit on them because, you know, people you can't lean back far enough. Well, yeah, if you don't have long legs and then you end up like with your feet not touching the ground, it gets awkward, right? Look, look like a toddler. Exactly. Sitting in the thing. But if you're trying to lay side by side, it's like amazing. Yeah. I, we had a market. I, somebody else took my idea. I just didn't do all the the research clearly. But I don't want to talk about this subject anymore because it's not nearly as interesting as learning uh, from someone who took a brand uh, from zero to selling over a million dollars a month of product in the golf course line. That's huge. Yeah. So this is this is really uh, a fun interview. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as Joey and I did. Let's jump in with Tyler Sully Sullivan. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the show. You're in for a treat today. We have Sully Sullivan joining us. Sully, thanks for being here, man. What's up, guys? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, whenever I was looking at your bio, Sully, I realized that you used to be a long drive guy and you made golf clubs that could help people hit it further. And I thought immediately that's the only reason Joey wanted you on the show is that he wanted to try to figure out could he finally <laughs> out hit me. So I'm like, look, next time we go play golf, I'm going to be looking and seeing if he has like a bomb tech driver in there or something like that. That's a secret weapon, man. It, it does for a lot. My, uh, I'm not the longest driver out there, but it got me back in love with the game. You know, it was uh, an addiction for me. So it, it never, never felt like work when I started Bontech. <laughs> well, I, I know we have many things in common. One of is that entrepreneurial spirit. Other is I think we swing um, our driver as hard as we possibly can. But for those who don't know enough about uh, Bombtech and your story, would you kind of give the Cliff Notes version for? Them? Yeah, for sure. So I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I was in sales, you know, since I got out of college and my buddy had invited me to a world long drive qualifier, which I didn't even know what that meant. At the time I was like 50 pounds heavier, was like bodybuilder, was playing rugby. You know, I was, I was pretty strong. I was like, dude, I'll go. Sure. Whatever. And I showed up, he didn't qualify, but I did. 
Um, I hit it like 360, um, which was actually not that good, but it was good enough to qualify. And from there, I grew up playing golf, take a step back, and was actually like a good golfer. And then I became a really bad golfer who tried to hit it hard. Um, and I just became obsessed with equipment. And all I would do was just have these clubs built for me, like custom, really odd combinations of lofts, shafts. And I actually ended up breaking all the clubs that I had assembled for me, a local club builder. And it just, out of like curiosity, I started assembling my own clubs. And it's really uh, interesting because like one of my buddies like, hey, can you build one for me? I was like, sure. He's like, how much? I'm like, I don't know. And I sold him a club and that was my first aha moment. And then I made the world's worst website again with no expectation of making mine just because I liked it, was obsessed with it, thought it was cool. And I was on my boat, not a yacht. You know, this is not a day job with my wife. And I got an email and the email was a sale. And I was like, holy shit, I just made money on a boat. And I'm a simple guy. So that was like, let's do more of that. Because <laughs> it was just like, it, it blew my mind. I go, wow. So let's do more of that. And the road from that first sale to now we do over a million a month. I only, you know, I only work four hours a week. It is has many ups and downs. But, you know, I love golf and that never felt like work. So I just started documenting all everything I was doing on Facebook. This is 2012. I just started documenting and asked people questions like, hey, guys, you know, this is the driver I play. What do you play? You know, how often do you play? Like, hey, I'm going to the course. And just really was authentic about it. So, like, if anyone's starting out, not that I never give advice, but it's like if you're already doing something you like on the weekends and nights, just do that and you'd be happy. Right. So that's all I try to do. Um, and from there, it went from like, cool, got a couple sales to a couple big moments. And the first one was I was drinking beers with a buddy from college. We were both in the same frat. And I was like, hey, I want to design a golf driver. He's like, man, you're not that smart. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right, a great he's friend. Right. He's right. He, he, he was right, though. But so he took me five years to graduate, whatever. But he's like, what, he's like, normal? <laughs> hey, I had a good time. You know, I, uh, anyways, but so he's like, you should contact University of Vermont where we went to college and see if they'll help you design a driver. I was like, dude, that's that's cool. Let me try that. I contacted them. They have an engineering project every year. And I worked hand in hand with four students, seniors for a year. And we designed a dual cabby driver. And I don't know if I was just drinking a lot or just I didn't have kids. I don't know what I, I just was risk averse, but I or risk. I had I, I would take risk, but I cashed in my 401k which was not much. And I said, screw it. And I just made like a bunch of drivers. And luckily with my Facebook small audience of just me posting and engaging, you know, I sold like $10,000 of them. I was like, that's pretty good. Let's do more of that. And so I, I have these very simple epiphanies that have happened where it's like, that's good. Let's do more or that sucks. Let's do less. And um, really from that moment, when I started making our own brand is when I really tried to push the gas, but really wasn't fully there. Like, so I had a full-time job. I was a sales director of this engineering firm and, you know, I was crushing it for them. I was really, you know, I doubled their sales, um, really pushed them out of their comfort zone to really be better. 
And during that time, BombTech was doing like 15, 20K a month, which may seem like a lot, but when you have cash flow, you know, you got to make the product cash flow, it was really nothing. Um, and then I found out my wife is pregnant and it was a week before Thanksgiving and my boss brings me into his office and he fires me. And whoa, that moment I said, I told him, I go, listen, I need to go get a drink of water so I don't knock you out. Because I was so emotional. I was so like, just found out wife was pregnant. I was the breadwinner. And it just came out of nowhere. And I said, what's my job? He goes, to sell. I go, what are sales? Oh, they're up 200%. So I got fired, even though I was not performing, I was outperforming any expectation ever. You know what I mean? So that was the moment and the kick in the ass that I needed. And there's no amount of pressure like not having a job and having a newborn baby on the way. So like that year straight, and it was actually a couple years, I worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week on all the wrong shit, but just trying to figure it out. Um, and then I was able to really scale up when Facebook video came out and I used it and I, and I was able to engage with the audience at scale. So that was the next level for me is I essentially made a video in my backyard with my newborn kids sleeping, not in the video, but I hit a ball onto a net. It sounds like a bomb goes off, right? So I hit it so hard. I say, does your driver sound like that? And I boosted it for 300 bucks and I got 300,000 views, 10,000 comments. And wow. I literally commented on my Blackberry until my thumbs were bleeding. <laughs> and, and what I did is I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know if commenting would do anything. It didn't necessarily drive sales. I wasn't rich that day, but I just knew that it was an opportunity that people gave a shit to comment. I should comment back. So my whole thesis here is I was just doing stuff I loved, had a lot of pressure, saw an opportunity, and just when there was any kind of engagement, I engaged back and just said, hey, what's up? And I slowly over time built a small brand by engaging with my audience. And then from there, we were able to use ads in a more targeted way. And we went from like, you know, that year I think was like 450,000 in sales. Then we went to like 1.2 million. Then we went to like 4.5, 6. And now we're doing, you know, this year we'll do around 10 million. Um, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't keep giving away all the stuff, man. We, <laughs> we, we got to circle back. Like you, circle back. Just, That's the high level. <laughs> okay. We, we got it. We got to get back. As you would say in your corporate job, let's circle back. Okay. Yeah. Let's circle back. Uh, first of all, amazing, amazing story. But second of all, I, I think when we talk to people on a daily basis, a lot of people are stuck where you were at that corporate job and they have this side hustle that maybe they have something that they're super excited about, passion but they, income. yeah, passion income. That's a good, good way to do it. But they really don't feel like they can leave the security of that nine to five. And for all intents and purposes, tell tell me before that conversation with your boss, how secure did you feel at that job? It's definitely false insecurity for sure. I, I I'll give a little more context. I was actually before that at a pharmaceutical sales job where they had layoffs every two years. So so for me, I always had this, I don't know, I think it's comes down to a little bit about the person and their DNA. I've always been searching. Like I've always been searching for something. You know, I don't know what it was, whether it's the next job, next payroll or my own business. And for me, that was my company. 
But I think there's a DNA element of this. It's like, hey, if you want that passionate income, how bad do you really want it? But I, I, I would, from my story, look at jobs as something not secure. You know, it's not, how, I mean, if they have a bad week, bad month, you're gone. So like, and I saw it in the pharmaceutical industry, it, it'd be a Friday afternoon every two years, but hey guys, laying off half the company. And that was, <laughs> that was typical. And so warm, I, yeah. I took my last job to go away from, uh, to go more secure. And that was like a Vermont company. They've never had a layoff. And I get there, then the sequester or whatever, I forget what was happened. It was all government. Half of it was government income. They had laid off half the company. Then I was fired. So it's it was definitely a perspective shifter. And I talked to my buddies that have the golden handcuffs all the time that are making decent coin, that have a day job, and they think life's good. You know, and then until they let, they, until it's not, right? So... So for me, having a job is the least secure thing because I have no control. You know what I mean? So like, but if that, if that didn't happen to me personally, I don't know if this would have happened. But that was a kick in the butt at that moment. The And the amount of pressure I think would have made, maybe not everyone, but at least it made me just figure it out. You know what I mean? What gave you the, ultimately, obviously you were fired, your wife is pregnant, and now you're starting not a brand new business, but you're going full time at something that you had been working as a side hustle. What gave you the confidence that you could make that work? I I don't know. I think my wife was really supportive when I actually came home early from work, so I had an hour commute. She's like, "What happened?" I was like, "I got <laughs> fired." She's like, "What are you going to do? Make bomb tech full time or what?" So she supported me. Wow. So I think it gave me some confidence, but. Honestly, I don't know. I think it was also kind of exciting in a sick way because we had momentum and we had some growth and I knew shit was happening. I, I, I had no idea. I think the big thing too is for me, I had no expectations of an outcome. So like if I think I started the company with an expectation to replace my income, it would have not, because it, it took me a while. You know, it took me time and a lot of wrong moves. So I think that was out of the equation for so long. It was just for fun. And it was like side money that, that it didn't feel like work. I think if I said, Hey, I got to make a million dollars top line revenue and pull this amount in year one, it would have, it probably wouldn't have happened. So I don't, I think I had some built in perspectives that allowed me to keep working. Cause it, like when I was working 20 hours a day, I wasn't doing all the right stuff, but it didn't, didn't feel like I was working 20 hours a day. It's just like what I, it was like my life. Um, right. The harder change for me was like when I had my second kid to like turn it off because I became less important in the company and and to, to not over optimize, micromanage, and, and feel important. So that's like my old man wisdom. Now the company is going <laughs> get out of that my own way because I'm not that smart anymore type of thing. But yeah, when you're in it, I don't know. I think a lot of it's DNA. I think it's like. You know, you don't know until it happens to you. Like I had those life events happen at the right time that seemed like the end of the world. But if you really want it, you know, got to go for it. All right. Now, I had a very similar conversation with my wife, um, not not because I had just gotten fired, because I got fired up for uh, about starting a business. And and I went home to her. She was pregnant with our fourth daughter at the oh, time. There you go. Legend and, 
and I was the breadwinner and and so had a very similar conversation. Well, she had a very uh, similar response, like immediate. And it sounds like that's what your wife did. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do? Go ahead and do bomb tech. Like she's like giving you this kind of sense of confidence, like, let's do this. But what have you ever had the conversation with her after the fact and said, why were you so confident that I should do that? I don't, I don't think I have. No, I haven't. I just, I think this was just an implied, I think she just trusted me also to be like, we've talked, like, we don't talk about money. Like this is since then. And then like the only times I remember feeling bad about it is like, we wanted to buy a house and we couldn't because we had, I had maxed out credit cards. Um, we had a house we were trying to, it was a duplex. We're renting out. We wanted to sell it. I was like, listen, we can't do it right now. So I felt like shit because she trusted in me and then she wanted to make a move and I couldn't support that move. Um, but it was just a timing thing. So she was cool with it, but it, that was a tougher discussion. Cause I think yeah. her, she supported me. And now we can buy things we could never buy ever. So yeah. Yeah, she had, she had a better view of, of myself than I had. So I was just, I was just in do mode. You know what I mean? Just like fucking yeah. run through walls, do whatever it takes just blinders on there. There was no stopping. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was just running. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you gotta go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we, as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. It would be interesting if you ask her now, because I was shocked just a few years ago. Whenever I went back to my wife, I was like, you know what? It just kind of dawned on me. Like you were immediately on board with this idea of me leaving uh, a very good job, great income, and you're pregnant, all these other things. And she said, well, I, you could have told me you were going to go be a dump truck driver or a garbage man. And I would have said, yes, you should do it. So immediately my whole boost of confidence went down. Like what the heck? Like you, you would really work that into whatever I was into. It was more about the fact that she said, I just didn't know if our marriage was going to make it. She's like, you're working so much. You are so, you were not present at the, at, at the family, in the family. You were totally like sucked into this corporate world. Um, and I was at a, a Fortune 50 company, large bank, and it just consumed me. And I didn't realize. I was blind to it. I thought I was crushing it, right? And, and then she says, yeah, you could, you could have done anything. And I would have said yes, because I just wanted you back. And that just like, number one, it was grateful that she was willing to do that and be honest with me. But two, it was a kick in the gut that, man, I really am not that cool. You know, like she, she just wanted me. 
So you are cool then if she just wants you. <laughs> I get that. that. That's like phase two was like, you know, my, my transition to now I'm around so much. My wife's like, yo, you need to go to work. I'm like, uh. <laughs> so, well, I have definitely gone from over, you know, like you fully consume, couldn't stop thinking about it. This was my life to full dad mode. I've got two kids. They are sick of me. Uh, the wife sees me so much. It's like, it's, it's unnatural how much they see me. And that by design, because it's like today, this is the first thing I did. It's 11 o'clock Eastern. I hung out with the kids, played catch with my son. They're dropping something off at 1230 for lunch. Yeah, I'll be home at 1.30. So it's like, and then we're going camping all weekend. So I think that's the hardest thing, but you have to go through all this, at least in the, my business. I had to build it to a point of, um, what's the word, stability, put the right people in place. And then it took me the second kid and, and that situation where I took six weeks off and sales went up, you know, that was my second or third big epiphany where it's like, okay, you did build this. You're the founder, but you are now no longer that important. And that was hard for me to believe, being the guy who used to assemble the clubs, ship the clubs, take the do, doing everything to doing just being the high high view vision, big lever guy that's not in the day-to-day -day weeds was a hard transition. Um, and some days I'm like, dude, I just need to do something. And again, everyone's like, you're not allowed to do anything. You, you suck at everything now. Um, <laughs> Which is encouraging, but it is, you know, it, that's because of success, I was able to transition into that. And that, for me, it's always been like family stuff that pushed me. It's getting first kid, getting fired, second kid saying, I'm going to take time off, you know. But again, those those epiphanies, life epiphanies that have business outcomes, like you had going from corporate being consumed to just wanting to be around more. It's It's hard to have that perspective. But once you do, it's like, shit, man. You know, what was I doing? Uh, but you got to have those moments too to grow. So it's like, it depends where you're at. It's a, it's a evolution. You know what I mean? Well, the, and you're, you're exactly right. We're, we're having to de decide which one of those things we're going to do and do well. And I think the person listening to you is going to fall in one or two camps. So I want to ask you a couple of questions because I know we got limited time. I know you got to get back home. Uh, it, I got time. <laughs> <laughs> so the, there, there's two there's two uh, buckets of people listening to you right now. One is someone who's at the beginning stage of that entrepreneur journey, right? The other person has been crushing it, and maybe they're the first kid you, right? Getting ready to have the second kid, and and they're kind of moving into that phase of okay, I got to start handing stuff off. So I want to start with the first bucket. We'll come to the second bucket in a second. So talk about a few of the things that you did early on when when you're full-time in this thing that made the biggest difference i know you've hit on facebook right but what were some of those like aha moments that still apply today right i know facebook has changed and, yep. and you, you know the things that we could do back you know eight ten years ago don't necessarily have exactly the same effects so what are some of those things that you still do today that you did then that have just had the most um impact on the business yeah i think i think first off it's it's, are you doing what you enjoy? So like, that's at the core thing. I think the biggest, I, I don't talk to a lot of startup uh, guys, but it's like everyone that I've seen fail does something they think is like hot or trending. Like a good example of this in e-com is like, hey, 
women's legging is trending right now. Like, <laughs> let, let me go sell women's leggings. It's like, dude, what do you do? Are you going to be, can you talk passionately? Do you love women's leggings? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, come on up. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> um, I don't know what material makes women's leggings. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't even, it would feel like work to do that. So it's like, right. think about what you're doing on a side hustle or a weekend. Like, are you into fishing, skiing? Like, I love to ski. I was going to start a ski company. I started, I have all these 40 different designs already made with skis. I haven't even done anything with it um, because I already like doing it. So it's like, do what you already like. And then from there, it's just fine where your people are. Back in 2012, I was in the freaking forums. This is pre-Facebook groups, and I was just engaging with golfers in forums like, hey, guys, this is a custom golf club forum. I designed this driver. You guys want to try it? I would send them a driver, and they would pass it around to the group. So it's like go to where people are. So it's like whatever you like, are they in Facebook groups? Are they on Instagram? Are they in forums? Is there a trade event? Like wherever they are. You need to be there and have a point of view. So you need to just start posting whatever it is and just start engaging. Like, that's all I did. It's like, I'm not trying to just create content. I'm just documenting. So like, as I was, don't have any expectation of like, I'm going to make this one post and sell five units or whatever. It's like, I just want to have conversations with potential people that mm. may be a fit. And that's all I did. Like as the most simple thing, and you just document and you get some type of following, you can monetize that typically in some manner, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, you know, Facebook groups, whatever that is today, you know, and just see what offer sticks. That's the part one is like get people engaged. And then for me, you know, we kind of, I told that story and was able to sell the product. But a lot of times people try to monetize or sell stuff that people don't want. And uh, so that's like phase two. So it's like build an audience, engage, and then ask. So like, that's what I did is like, I would just start asking questions and that helped me build the product with them. So that's yeah. really all I did. I documented and I got my ego out of the way and had real questions where I asked people what they want. I still do this today. And it allowed me to vet validity in our product, you know, before. Um, and then the last part is take their money. And I think this is the biggest one. It's like, <laughs> No, for real though. Like, so for example, I made this product called Beer Putt. I was the 2005 Beer Pong champion at the frat. Um, <laughs> okay. I thought you were like, is, this is like the ESPN Beer Pong championship. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a frat, frat championship, 18 games. Yeah, well, I mean, it's still, it's insane. Go ahead. It's amazing. Um, but anyway, so I made this product called Beer Putt, which is Beer Pong for golf, right? And I was like, this is going to crush it. And this is one of the first products, and this is, we're already doing millions. I was like, this is gonna kill it. Social media, I got like 2,000 shares, million comments on it, not a million, but like a lot of comments on it. But I didn't actually ask the audience my in, in email and stuff like, hey, what do you guys think? Would you buy this, like sign up, do pre-orders? Usually we do a pre-order micro launch to vet, the, vet if it's legit. I was like, screw it, we'll just make 2,000 units. Biggest, biggest flop in the history of flops. It took me like two years and I slashed the prices so low. It's like at my cost. And it really was an ego check that, hey, you still need to validate and ask and get paid. Because a lot of people say, hey, man, love your idea. Great. Yeah, I'll do that. Great startup idea. But when they, when you say, hey, 200 bucks or here, you know, pay me, that's that's the moment when you know. 
you know, if that's you when they truly vote, right? They vote with their yeah. dollars. That's well, that's when you actually it's it's you know it's legit. So I'd ask for payment and see if there's traction. Just keep doing that, you know, build that audience and that may be a simplified version, but I think that's the best way to do it to start today. You know, I love it. All right, let's let's talk to audience number two. They've already got a successful thing going and but yet they are the one doing the majority of things and joey and i relate to that right it wasn't but two or three years ago where we were the ones having one-on-one conversations before it branched out to where now they want to let us have those one-on-one conversations anymore either because they're like you guys are going to screw this thing up they were just telling russ the other day you cannot do anything okay <laughs> please don't touch it it will break that's so great <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about that. Talk about some of those moments that that led up to you being able to do that. Yeah, that's the hardest part. You know, I mean, that's that's where the ego really needs to be checked and you to to become free or not to be stuck in. And I think this is 90 percent of businesses, I would say, get in this category because they can't get out of their own way. They literally can't get out of their way to scale. They can't open up another restaurant because they have to cook or do the managing there. Or they can't, you know, because they're in it and they feel like they're the best at it and myself included, right? So, like, I was like, there's no way someone can assemble a club like me. There's no way someone can reply to an email like I can. There's no way someone could post on social or do this. And then, you know, I think the big realization was when I was doing Facebook ads myself. So, I was able to get us to our first seven figures or first million running Facebook ads. And I'm like, dude, I'm not that smart. I'm like, if I can get it here, there's got to be someone better. So really for me, it, it was very painful to find that person that was better than me. But once I did, I have a system of finding people. Um, once I did, we went from 1 million to 4 million. And guess what? Now I got all my time back, right? So now I got my time from doing that task. And it's so hard because as an entrepreneur or founder, I don't I feel weird calling myself that still, but it's like you want to make it the best and do it yourself because you think you have to. So letting go is the hardest part. But that really, I think it was for me, it was, again, a life moment of having my second kid and me not working to see sales go up for me to realize, shit, I have like delegating to people that are better than me is the only way to scale, right? And that that's a hard it's a hard thing to do so like for what i do is like i try to silo everything i have like so i have facebook ads email 3pl uh you know even custom brokerage club design silo out one activity and i try to find a personal agency that's better in every activity uh so for example with facebook ads this is a big aha moment for me hired this guy we went from four million to six million and then i fired him why the hell would we fire someone that's crushing it and Wait a second. This is the same exact conversation you were having with your boss several years back. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, so I fired him when he's performing because <laughs> I, I didn't know enough about Facebook ads at that time to see it was January. It's off season. And we were running a 6x return ad spend. And it, it was my fault. He actually was performing and I fired him. But I didn't know enough about Facebook ads to actually vet someone. So that year we had a really rough year because I had fired our best media buyer and I had to find someone. I didn't even know how to vet them. So I had to learn Facebook ads myself, get good at it, run it enough to then hire someone better than me. So you have to be dangerous enough at every silo to hire and fire. And so what I do now for any skill, I don't care what it is, I learn it myself. So what I do is, so when I was finding my Facebook guy that I've now had for three years, 
well, not firing. Um, I went through to clarify. Twelve <laughs> experts, right? So I, what I did is I did a one-hour paid screen share where I would pay them an hour of their time. They would go in Facebook ads and they would build an ad against my ads. And my goal was two things. Number one, hopefully I learned something. Number two, hopefully they beat me. And then finally, the 12th guy beat me and I learned something. So I ended up paying these guys, but I was able to do it, you know, real quick vetting people. And then I found them. Uh, so not only that, now I'm dangerous enough still that I, I would know if he's doing well or not because I, I took time to learn it. And, you know, I was able to bypass, you know, all the effort of hiring agency and then have them suck. Um, so that's really like one of the biggest things is finding people to replace you. But even if they're 80% as good as you, you now have your time to do more important shit, you know? All right. So talk about the thing now that you're there, you're in this level two, you're, you're, you're crushing it. Are, are you guys like teaching other people how to do this? I mean, I would imagine like people are wanting to buy the golf clubs, but they're also saying, Hey, how do you go? compete against the big brands and get successful, you're doing something right that I need to know and be able to apply to my business. That, that could be any business. It doesn't have to be, you know, be selling bed sheets or women's leggings or whatever it is. There's something that you're doing that is helping that. Like how, have you guys been able to leverage that at all? Yeah, for sure. So like, this is another like opportunity that we just, we took, but I, I really didn't expect to do this. So this was three and a half years ago. Um, so my first employee, so we, we do, we have an agency. We work about 40 brands, econ brands, doing between two and 30 million a year. And we do all their email and SMS. And, and it, it was weird because it was like four or five years ago when it first started, there was a couple podcast interviews I was on, articles and case studies on bomb tech, which I thought was cool. But people started pinging me on like Facebook, LinkedIn, like, hey man, you're killing it. Can you help me? I was like, nope, good luck. I was like, I'm too busy, dude. Like, I don't even know how to help you. Like, what do you want? And like, so then I started having more conversations and we had a case study specifically from Clavio, which is our email software we use. We drive like 50% of revenue from email. Um, and my first employee, who was the most unique, hungriest, hardest working kid in the world, like literally a kid, he was so young. He, he would pink text me at 2 a.m., coming home from the bars, looking at the website sales. Like, dude, look at the conversion rate on the website. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Because he was so obsessed with helping bomb tech. So he really became my right-hand man, worked so hard. And then when people started reaching out, he goes, do you mind if I help them? I said, I, I want nothing more than support your dreams and goals, man, because you've helped support mine. And I go, I'll, I'll hand you the leads, like the people that are interested, if you can get them results on email, because that's what they're asking for based on this case study, uh, let me know how it goes. Just let me, so we close three deals. In 30 days, I go, how'd it go? He goes, I double the revenue. I go, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, go, what I go, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to do more of that. Um, and so him and I worked together on a transition plan, essentially him quitting BombTech and starting Ecom Growers and I would become his partner. Um, and from there, we went from his side hustle, you know, with three clients, six clients, nine clients. And this is over three years. Now we have 40 clients and, you know, we're doing seven figures a year. And um, it's because he was the right guy. He knows the skill and he has the same DNA I had. 
and I just want to support him. So now he really runs that. I'm a partner on the front end, and all I do is I have calls with him once a week and just try to help him in whatever I can do. But now he's making, what's the number, 8X, 9X what I used to pay him um, because, you know, owning his own company. Uh, so that was a really – an unexpected opportunity that we just – decided to uh, uh, go for. And I'm so happy for him. And again, it was just like, hey, we got people that are reaching out for me. Again, it just happened and we monetize it. And it just, it's an amazing business. Well, and I, I think what you're saying there is a really cool future opportunity for people who haven't already taken this step. But look at like the opportunity to be able to create that for somebody that works with you, that never happens in a corporate world. Right. The, like, think about that. You have somebody in a corporate um, situation and they're really performing well. You're threatened by them. <laughs> right. In that world, there's only one way up the ladder and you're ahead of them. So that sure. person ends up leaving nine times out of 10 or whatever. But in this case, and, and I mean, Russ and I have been able to see that happen within our businesses. There's There are tracks that we can help somebody grow with them versus like them have to leave or otherwise. So that's a, that's a cool, I don't want people to miss that. That's a way you can bless others through your own business success. I mean, that's just, that's really cool. Well, yeah, I think this, so rewarding, you know, that was probably one of the most rewarding things I could ever do, you know, cause like, you know, I've had many employees that are, you know, they, they come in, they punch the clock, they leave. That's cool. But he, he, from day one, and he actually, he was one of the engineers that designed one of the golf clubs too. And he, he was like, Hey man, if you need help after hours, so he was the first guy like answering emails at like nine o'clock at night after he was going to school engineering our golf club. So it's like, you know, if someone puts in that much effort in your company, not, not that every employee does this, but like, you know, I feel like I owe him. So it's, yeah. it's cool to see him so successful at such a young age and no you know, I could never do that at, at a day job, you know? Well, th this has been a really cool uh, story. I hope that you'll be inside the community and, and we'll, uh, as you um, are listening to Sully talk, I hope you'll reach out to him. There's so many lessons that uh, we, we gained from this interview. I really appreciate you sharing all these nuggets. If somebody wanted to connect with you, uh, whether uh, it's to buy a, a driver or it's an existing business that would love to try to uh, connect with e uh, Ecom growers, where would you point them to? Yeah, so if you golf, uh, bombtechgolf.com. Uh, if you're an e-com brand, uh, ecomgrowers.com, we can do an audit of your email. And then if you want to contact me direct, I'm on LinkedIn as well at uh, Tyler Sully Sullivan. Man, awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And as always, thank you for listening to this. If you know somebody who would be inspired by Sully's story, please forward this to them. Um, this would be something that uh, we love to be able to bless someone else. So thanks, Sully, for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. That was fun. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.